Now arriving, the Let's Talk Train Show. All better than ever. Your membership will help us further enhance our exhibits and attractions in North Central Missouri, including the Let's Talk Train Show. Our goal is to set up a museum dedicated to passenger rail history, including Amtrak, located in La Plata, Missouri. Memberships and contributions from friends like you will help us achieve this goal. For more information about the American Passenger Rail Heritage Foundation, membership, and opportunities available, visit our website, www.aprhf.org. Welcome back. This is Shuttle Train Ted, and today we're at the Rosenberg Railroad Museum in Rosenberg, Texas, which is just slightly a little bit west of Houston, Texas, on the Union Pacific Line, and uh, which is also the Sunset Limited Line. We're going to start off today, so already crowded here at the museum. On the, we're on the grounds, and uh, if you're here um, in the near by future, come on over and see, check it out. We're going to start off our show as we do every on-the-road show with talking with the head honcho of the city. And Rosenberg uh, has a really unique um, slot in that history. It's the first female mayor that we've interviewed for the show. So, Mayor Cynthia McConaughey, thank you very much for joining us, and thank you for inviting us to your wonderful town. Thank you for being here and for allowing me to boast about our railroad museum and all of the wonderful things that uh, we do here in support of the rail. Tell us a little bit, if you would, what... um, What's your background in Rosenberg? How did you, were you born here? Did you did you're a transplant? I've lived here uh, most of my life, with the with the exception of a few years when I was a newlywed and a first grader. But I'm a, a native of Rosenberg, and um, I've lived here most of my life. It's it's a unique opportunity to have seen the city transform over my lifetime, and then to serve in a leadership role to actually support the great things that are going on in Rosenberg. What type of government is uh, Rosenberg city um, government? Rosenberg is a strong council city manager form of government, which means that the elected council sets the policy and um, establishes the budget and um, oversees the operations through the city manager role, who actually does the hands on day-to-day operation of the city. And you are you elected by the by the citizens through a popular vote, or are you appointed by the, the council? 
all of the, of the city council positions are elected by popular vote. Mm-hmm. If you would, what is Rosenberg? Is it an industrial town? Is it a residential town? You know, pocket town for a suburb for the, the city of Houston? What, what is, describe what Rosenberg is. Rosenberg's identity was established through the rail, and there is no question about um, the industry that, that we are as Rosenberg, and we're an industrial town for certain. When somebody comes here to Rosenberg and wants to walk around and, and see the sights and see um, what's going on, how welcoming is Rosenberg? I mean, are there are the people okay to outsiders? Are they welcoming or what? Well, Rosenberg is still a relatively small town by comparison to Houston and Sugarland, and so we still have the friendly back home atmosphere here. Um, and uh, one of the things that I hear a lot in terms of feedback from visitors and guests is that. They love the South, particularly Rosenberg, because we're so friendly. Now, when we when they contacted when the museum and everybody contacted you about appearing today and telling and, and you know announcing that we were coming, and you said you were gonna we wanted you to be on the show, and you said train show. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever grow up with model trains, or, or what was your what was your railroading background? Well, as a, a little girl, um, the neighborhoods that I grew up in were predominantly guys and boys. And so whatever they were doing, I was doing. And um, I had a number of friends, Mike and Bubba, who allowed me to watch and uh, participate from a distance uh, their train um, collection because I wasn't allowed to touch them. I was a girl. But what I really appreciated about um, what I was exposed to is the elaborate, articulate little cities that they recreated and the value of their time and their experience that they put into it. And what was really exciting is when they would start them and you'd actually see the trains moving and the bells and the lights and the whistles. It just created um, an, an excitement that wanted me to touch them even more, but of course I wasn't allowed to. And then I had two other guy friends, um, George and Kenneth, who also had train um, cities, but I only knew about them. I never saw them, and I certainly wasn't allowed to touch them, but that's my exposure to model trains growing up. We've got, we should tell you that we're right trackside uh, again, which is on the UP and the uh, Burlington Northern. Santa Fe, which has um, right now a UP train headed, headed uh, east, I believe. It's like a silica train, pellet train. What, um, when, you, when you get to together in, as a city and you meet and you have a work, work session, the fact that the railroad comes through your town, does that ever come up in your, in your work sessions? I mean, how does um, the city government support railroad tourism, the muse- and not just the museum, but you know, bringing people in to the area and creating a base for public support, you know, public infrastructure, you know, sewers, water, parking lots where people can watch trains at? 
Well, that's a really great question. Because we were established as a railroad town with having three major rails running through our city, uh, the railroad's always on our mind. And, of course, with the Railroad Museum being established here, the city is a strong supporter of the museum through advertising, particularly our featured events that occur here in the city, um, we also um, support them through uh, a recent project where uh, the city created funds for establishing a parking lot not only to benefit the museum but the other merchants here downtown. Um, additionally, uh, the recent cultural arts and historical downtown destinations also added to the opportunity for people to come downtown and be drawn to the many things that we have going on here. Um, how do you, for example, I guess another aspect of it is how do you get at um, convincing and educating your local citizens what trains do? Um, you know, a lot of cities are creating quiet zones, and, and of course, that our side, we, we love the horns because we understand the horns and the, the things. We want, you know, people, the reason that they were there. Most people, when they see a train, they're stopped, you know, for, and they, it's an inconvenience for them. I mean, you have a nice big overpass that goes over the yard, so they can always go over the yard. But do you ever help educate, you know, the citizens that bring, you know, create the industry, you know, noticing that the train that just went by probably brought, is going to eventually end up with your food, your cereal, your cars, your, your clothes? Absolutely. That's, that's a great question. It's, it's a balance. You have train enthusiasts that don't mind the horns, and they love the opportunity to, to have the engineer blow the horn, you know, and encourage them to blow the horn. But then you also have the balance of businesses who have come here to prosper in Rosenberg. And uh, can you imagine having a um, city hall meeting and you have train horns going on in the midst of your meeting? And so... Um, we are talking about both the cities of Richmond and Rosenberg are talking about uh, noise uh, restricted zones through Wayfair horns and things like that. But um, what I do in terms of educating our citizens is that, yes, um, they can be a little distracting when the horns go off, but when we see trains, that means that the train is bringing the very things that we use on a day-to-day -day basis, the things that make the city prosper, the things that help the rest of the nation, because Rosenberg is the hub of the Gulf Coast. And so when trains are passing through Rosenberg, in my mind, that's encouraging because I know that it's on its way to another destination, either the West Coast or the East Coast or even uh, mid America. So it's, it's, um, it's a story that I try and tell often about the balance of both sides of the rail business. When you go to your, um, your municipal conferences in Texas and everything, do you, do you guys talk about taxes and grants for improving the railroad experience? You know, the, the museum here helping get grants for this, you know, the new fence is great, you know, new sidewalks, you know, and I mean, do you do you do you, is it is that a topic that people talk about in some of your meetings, municipal meetings? Absolutely, we talk about every opportunity to promote our cities, um, not not focused on rail, but any opportunity that we get to 
uh, grow our city and the tourism business. Um, there are specific grants available to certain economic development sort of activities uh, related to museums, parks, things like that. And um, recently, the Rosenberg Development uh, Corporation in 2014 um, allowed a $10,000 matching grant to the museum. Initially, it was to restore a caboose, but unfortunately, the person who was to do the repainting passed away. And so then they repurposed the grant to um, restore the Tower 17, which I'm looking at right at this moment. And so other people can enjoy the majestic um, opportunity of the tower along with the many other things here at the museum. When I, when I told you earlier, uh, before we came on the show, about railroad tourism in 2014 being a $3.8 billion industry, and that's growing, and that cities all around the country are creating rail fan platforms and, and rare lookout points. And what does that mean for you? Would you, are you interested in taking that that far? Um, you know, because it's, it's nice here at the museum because it's fenced in, but it, it's only acceptable when the, the museum's open. Is there, you know, a way, do you, how, how open would you guys be to getting the Lions Club or whatever to <clears throat> build a lookout point somewhere nearby that, that's accessible 24 hours a day that, you know, has cameras and, wait, you know, that people can watch, you know, can you be like, can you get Texas to be the, you know, the, fair, the fifth largest uh, state that has rail fan, you know, after, of course, uh, Illinois is first, uh, Georgia's second, Indiana, and then Ohio, and then, of course, so. What, what, what do you say if we come back in five years what type of rail tourism projects would uh, Rosenberg be doing? Wow, that's a loaded question. To be quite honest with you, that's, um, that opportunity is really uncharted. It's, it's wide open for discussion and collaboration. Um, I will tell you that um, Rosenberg, being one of many cities in Fort Bend County, there's a lot of collaboration that goes on, and I'm sure that if we put the right people at the table, in the right seats, at the conversation, that five years from now we could have something uh, really spectacular related to the rail tourism. We just need to have that conversation. Growing up, um, did you ever come here as a kid? And uh, how many times have you come since um, you've been married? I didn't come here as a kid purpose to visit. I went by this place many, 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 many times. And, and I think the answer is the same for since um, because there's been so many different opportunities of uh, events and things going down, going on downtown that it's hard to do one without doing the other. So Now, it, I guess one thing is, is in all fairness, is the mayor, the mayor is just a part-time job for you. You have a regular job like I do. <laughs> Actually, I'm uh, supposed to be retired, but being mayor is really a full-time job for me. <laughs> well, it, it really is. I mean, Rosenberg, we, we drove down through Old Town uh, this morning before we um, arrived here to set up um, after getting in late at night. It really is a, a small town. It almost feels just like my town, my hometown, where I live in uh, Washington and our headquarters city in La Plata. Um, 
This line is Amtrak line, so probably the nearest, I don't know where the nearest Amtrak station is, probably Houston. Um, get on the line, you know, get on the train and, and come to New Orleans and come up to Centralia or come up to Carbondale sometime and we'll pick you up and bring you, bring you across the, the wide state of Missouri. Um, thank you very much for um, joining us today. It's been a really unique honor, uh, as usual, we, as we visit the, around the country with other mayors. Um, as I said, we'll be back checking in on you in a couple of years to check and see the progress and see how rail fan friendly this town has become. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, that's um, our first segment for today. That's uh, our mayor, Cynthia McConey. And uh, we're going to take our first break, and we'll be back after this. Hear that? That's the sound of new homes being built in Windsor, Colorado. That's stores and restaurants opening. That's people punching in at a new job. And that is a freight train, a big reason why so much is happening in Weld County. I'm Weld County Commissioner Sean Conway. Over the last three years, our county has seen economic growth and job creation. I'm Jason Mortensen, the Logistics Process Manager for Vestas. We're the world's leading manufacturer of wind turbines. Our four new plants in Colorado employ over 1,700 people. We built here because access to freight rail helps us move our turbines to market. When large companies like Vestas come, so do suppliers, other businesses, and more jobs. It's what economists call the ripple effect. I call it the freight rail effect. Freight rail, delivering goods and materials to every corner of America and bringing jobs and economic growth along for the ride. Visit FreightRailWorks.org. All right, we're back. This is Shuttle Train Ted, and we're here at Rosenberg, Texas, at the Rosenberg Railroad Museum's Rail Fest. It's a cloudy day, but it's a beautiful day. We've had lots and lots of trains going by trackside here today, so it makes it mm -hmm. it's a great day. We want to um, get into our next segment, and uh, normally it would be the Convention and Visitors Bureau person, but we kind of wanted to take a little quick spin um, with that, and uh, talk with Dan Keller. He's the City of Rosenberg Main Street Program Manager. And Dan, thank you very much for um, coming with us and coming out here. Is this your first time here uh, at the Railroad Museum? Uh, no, the Railroad Museum's right in the heart of the Main Street District, and so we need to work with them on a regular basis. Tell us a little bit when someone tells you that um, there's a three that in 1980 in, excuse me in 2014. The railroad tourism um, expense was was 3.8 billion. What does that do to a small community town, and how how does that interfere uh, interact with uh, railroad? Well, tourism is a, an extremely important economic development uh, driver uh, in small towns all across the country, and uh, we work on trying to strengthen the 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 uh, tourist attractions that we have, and two of the biggest tourist attractions we have are the Railroad Museum, our historic connection with the railroad, and uh, uh, our arts, uh, and, uh, and uh, uh, we're, we're a state-designated cultural arts district here. Did you ever have a model railroad when you were growing up? Uh, I did, except I'll tell you, I was the kind of child, and then later when I grew up, 
whether it's a, a, a child's toy or a big boy's toy like a sports car or something, after I've had it for a year, I tend to lose my interest in it. And so I had the, you know, your typical, uh, you know, Lionel train uh, and uh, I played with it some, except uh, I, I d didn't continue in that uh, uh, be, being that kind of a, a rail fan, but uh, I am very interested in railroads. When you go to, when you go to a um, a little town and you want and a rail fan goes to a little town and wants to watch trains and you know of course in Missouri we have lots of little towns that the trains don't stop there but they roll by real quick and get great opportunities to see while you're watching trains you can eat and sleep you know some of the the bed and breakfasts what what happens here in Rosenberg what's available to a rail fan here in downtown Rosenberg well. As I mentioned, uh, we're a state-designated cultural arts district, and so, of course, we have the Railroad Museum, uh, which is a museum. It's a part of uh, high culture, and uh, they have a lot of excellent uh, exhibits that are both fun for the children and also interesting to adults. Like, uh, they're just, uh, I believe they're still fin finishing up now uh, a, a special exhibit that they've had on the life and times of the Pullman Porters. Uh, and... Uh, that is uh, interesting to all adults and also to uh, uh, African Americans. It's uh, uh, February was uh, African American History Month, and uh, uh, that's when the exhibit started. And uh, just a very interesting exhibit. When you when you sit here and you and you come by and you see the trains, being in your position, does that give you a different perspective of what? You know, when you're sitting at a crossing instead of, you know, getting angry, what what goes through your mind when you're sitting in a, in a road with a, the gates down? Well, it I definitely do bring a bit different perspective. Uh, I, as I mentioned, I'm not a hobbyist, but I love railroads. Uh, Main Street is a, is a method of downtown improvement, and I've, my whole career I've been a downtown improvement officer. And... Uh, uh, Main Street is a is a uh, an approach to downtown improvement that has a historic preservation emphasis, and the the cool thing I uh, about railroads and downtowns and their connection is that uh, there are thousands and thousands of small downtowns all across the country that only exist because that was where the rail stop was, and then when the rail service uh, discontinued, the downtown becomes an anachronism and sometimes they wither. Except it's possible uh, for rails to, rail, railroad services to come back. Uh, uh, about uh, 20 years ago, uh, I've worked all over the country in downtown improvement. About, about 20 years ago, I worked, uh, uh, I was involved in civic affairs in the state of Washington, and I was appointed to the Washington State Rail Commission. Uh, the Rail Commission had two committees one was a freight service committee, and one was a passenger service committee. And I lived in a town just like Rosenberg. The town that I grew up in and lived in was uh, Kent, Washington. It's about halfway between Seattle and Tacoma. And it was a town just like Rosenberg that had built up around the rail track, and then uh, it had uh, the rail service had discontinued, and it became an anachronism. What I wanted to do at that time, what I we are we had our wind our our normal wind burst, guys and gals. What I wanted to do at that time was to restore rail service, a different new kind of rail service, uh, commuter transit rail service along uh, the, the, the Burlington Northern lines that were running from Seattle to Tacoma. And there was a string of cities that uh, had built up along those areas. 
it took about 10 years and finally that service was implemented and today there's a service you can go online and uh, and google it it's called the sounder train and uh, there are many large cities that have commuter rail service along existing rail lines who knows maybe someday uh, in Houston we could have a commuter rail service that would come out to Rosenberg and take the anachronism of a downtown that 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 uh, is now now could be called an anachronism because it's not by the rail and restore that historic rail service and and bring full circle back to the way that it was before and folks I'll tell you coming through last night their downtown Houston is being rebuilt the concrete jungle the interstates the roads um, they're building bridges and, and flyover ramps like crazy that are so high it just it makes me sick. It's like get them instead of the, you know all that concrete, put them on concrete ties and put and get a commuter line to the to the Houston suburbs and that you know because they have enough parking they have enough parking lots. Why not they you know do that that way? Sometimes I think in uh, transit planners have a tendency to uh, use the 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 flinch method. Uh, the traffic congestion gets worse and worse and worse, and not until people really start to scream, then they say, well, maybe we need to invest some money in this transit. Train. Getting back to Rosenberg, what's here? If if I wanted to come and spend two, three days, uh, you know, you take a train, train to Am- to Houston, and then you, you know, get a cab ride or something to here, um, rent a car. What's here? What what hotels are are here in Rosenberg? Um, and um, you know how how pricey are they? We've got lots of great hotels. They're not pricey like you'll find in downtown uh, Houston. Uh, you can you can uh, get uh, good quality hotels for 89 to 129 uh, uh, here, and there's a good a good selection of them. There's always a, a room to be found. Uh, also, in terms of what you can do while you're here, you come of course you come down to the Railroad Museum. Uh, right across the street from the Railroad Museum is a wonderful restaurant called Another Time Soda Fountain. And it is an authentic, old-fashioned soda fountain where they actually uh, mix the flavor with the seltzer, uh, and they can make any kind of old-fashioned soda fountain drink that you you could get at the old-fashioned soda fountains, uh, even an egg cream that is popular in New York City. Uh, also, we have a restaurant called the Old Railroad Cafe, and uh, they have a railroad motif, and they have excellent uh you can get anything from a hamburger and fries to a steak and, and uh, seafood. Uh, we, we have uh, uh, a, uh, uh, a Tex-Mex uh, taco, uh, taco restaurant called Bob's Taco Station that was on, uh, it appeared on uh, Guy Fieri's Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. And it's uh, one of the most popular uh, places for people to come down and get some breakfast tacos. Uh, also, as I mentioned, we're a cultural arts district, and on any weekend, we have uh, live music at many of these restaurants. And uh, we, we've got a wonderful wine bar uh, that has live music, and the, the soda fountain sometimes does. They, we, we almost never have a cover charge for that music, and so you can go get a meal, go to the, go to the museum. Uh, we also have art exhibits. Last night, I w- was at a at an, an art exhibit with live music and uh, and snacks. Uh, and uh, so there's just stuff going on all the time. What, when's the best time to come here? Well, if you're looking for nightlife and entertainment, right now I'd say more on the weekend than during the weekdays, although we do have some. Uh, and uh, if, in terms of weather, uh, are we talking to people outside the te- Texas area? All the world. Okay, well, I would say um, uh, that the cusp months, uh, 
February, March, April uh, in the in the spring, and uh, October, November uh, in the in the fall. Uh, pretty much after May, you know, unless you like like it above 90, uh, it's a little bit warm. Uh, except then I'm a Yankee. I came from Washington State, so. Uh, a lot of my Texas friends say I'm a wimp, and that it's really not even fun until it gets over 95. Yeah, but unfortunately, when it's 95, you also had that little thing that starts with an H, that little word that starts with an H. Yeah, there's a little humidity here, but I've lived on the uh, on the Mid Atlantic area in Norfolk, Virginia, and uh, I don't think it's as bad here as in in uh, Virginia or uh, or Miami or any place like that. Typically. Um, what what is the average, um, I guess, makeup of a community? Well, the demographic makeup. We have a very large his, Hispanic population. I think it uh, is approaching fifty percent, uh, and uh, that lends a lot of uh, added uh, uh, flavor and color to to our uh, festivals and events. Uh, there there are uh, 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 a, a lot of uh, Mexican restaurants and. Uh, uh, just adds color and, and uh, enriches our community. How how can you help um, your 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 city focus on helping rail tourism? You know, help, you know, getting more support for the museum, getting support for you know a future expansion of a rail pl- you know, platform or what our viewing area. You know, so that you can attract more and get some and grab some of that that 3.8 billion dollar money. Well, I'd say there are micro ways that we can help, and there are macro ways. The micro ways are uh, that when we have a festival like the one we're at today, uh, we try to help them promote it by uh, doing uh, 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 what we call boosted Facebook posts to to spend a little advertising money on Facebook to let people know that they need to come down to the festival. Sometimes we do uh, newspaper ads and things like that that advertise the activities here. Uh, Those are more micro help. But uh, in terms of macro, and uh, as we're sitting here, we're looking at uh, uh, the uh, president of the the, uh, uh, the railroad museum who's looking on, and he'll he'll attest to this. I I uh, uh, work with them to try to encourage them to access some funding sources that we have here in Rosenberg. We have a in uh, in Texas we have a funding source which is the hotel occupancy tax, and that is. Uh, an interesting tax that has restrictions on it where you have to combine different activities. One eligible activity is museums, and so they clearly qualify for that. Another one is tourism. And so if they can come up with activities that, like, for example, if they put out a, 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 a sign-up book for this event and some people who stay overnight at a hotel sign it, they can go and talk to the mayor, who's just speaking to you a moment ago, and the city council, and say, you know, we would like to... Uh, get a significant amount of money to help our activities. And the city has a lot of money in the hotel uh, occupancy tax fund that uh, has not been spent because of these these, uh, challenging little requirements that have to be met. And and the railroad museum is in a unique position to be able to access those funds. What um, would you suggest if you're a city resident and you want to, you know, do you you get does the city school system help come, you know, support the museum? Well, very much so. Uh, and I only know from, you know, I'm not directly involved with the museum, but I see the school buses coming down on a regular basis with the kids uh, coming and participating in organized field trips. 
I also uh, know that during the summertime they have an organized uh, summer a series of summer activities uh, for, for kids uh, of, of various different ages. Uh, and so, yeah, the the, the youth uh, involvement here is just incredible. Do you? And I guess one of the I guess where I'm trying to I guess I should clarify. One of the neat components that I've and as we as we travel around to do the on the road shows is getting the city school systems and the, and the county school systems to have a component in the history, the local history part of the, the curriculum to focus on rail rail history. And there goes another gust. <laughs> it's, it's it's live it's live and windy everywhere we go. Um, how can you work? How can your division work with the city schools to make that to make that part of uh, happen, or is it worth making it happen to, to preserve the future? Well, I agree with you that I I think that that is something that that uh, needs to happen, uh, especially because, as I mentioned, the Main Street approach to downtown improvement is based on the restoration of historic buildings, uh, and so uh, historic preservation is very important to us. Here in Texas, I believe that in fourth and seventh grade, they have a curriculum requirement that they focus on Texas history. And uh, as I mentioned before, uh, if you look at the, the pattern of development of small towns across Texas and across the whole country, it's where the rail went. That's where the, the city's built up. And so it's hard to cover the, the community histories uh, of, com of the communities in Texas and, and elsewhere without talking about the rail history. Uh, and, uh, you know, economic development happens where rail stations go. And one, I guess the last question I want to ask you is, where is Rosenberg? How do you get here? Well, uh, Houston uh, is uh, surrounded by a couple of ring roads, an inner one and an outer one. You'd basically just come into any of the major, uh, major uh, airports, and uh, you you take the, uh, the highway 59, uh, and it runs south uh, southwest, uh, about a 30 minute drive, and and you're right here. Get off the highway and pull right into the right into downtown. How many people are uh, live here? I think it's about 35,000. And. And so would you say most of them work here or would they travel to, uh, would this be a, ah, UP train headed to North. Uh, you, you gotta love the engineers when they have happy. They've seen all these kids out here waving. That's a fence line. So, it's really a neat time. I mean, we've, we've got a well, well-rounded crowd. So um, today, kids, adults, of course, everybody brings their parents. There's a lot of rail fans. There's been a guy walking around taking pictures of the different trains and different features. It really does. It really is a thing. And it's not, it's a community, and it's focused on railroads. That's the neat thing about it. It's not the, the heritage, the town carriage, where they bring out the jewelry trailers and, the, you know, the, Give me here. Let me sell you some siding. Well, I would agree with that. Well, thank you very much. It's been a, a very nice pleasure to meet you with you. I'm, I, you know, as I said, I live in downtown historic Washington, um, Missouri, so I understand. I'm six blocks off the railroad, off the river, so 
So I live in a historic house, so I understand about Main Street. You know, we shop local um, as most as, as much as we can. Everywhere we go, we you know tonight we'll um, we'll actually eat here at the, in in town and in, in, in downtown or or old town is is, is that's the, the technical term for us now. Um, it really is a beautiful town, a lot of nice people. Um, thanks for spending your Saturday with us. I know this is probably not what normally you normally do on a Saturday. Well, working downtown, oftentimes I am, and so this is no problem. Thank you very much, Ted. I enjoyed it. All right. Well, we'll be back after this break, live from the Rosenberg Railroad Museum's Rail Fest. This is the Association of American Railroads Audio Service with a report on the way the nation's freight railroads are building for the future. As the economy grows, so does the need to move raw materials, industrial products, and consumer goods. The vital link in that chain is provided by the nation's freight railroads. And they've taken a look ahead and determined they need to invest more than $160 billion over the next 20 years to carry their share of the load. That's in addition to the more than $200 billion it will cost to maintain the system. The good news is that railroads are already investing record sums, more than $6.6 billion, or almost 20% of revenues in 1999. That's a higher percentage of revenues put into capital improvements than any other industry in America. Railroad officials think they'll be able to increase those investments, thanks to the Staggers Rail Act of 1980 which freed them to compete in the market against each other and against trucks and barges. They say that law has already resulted in improved productivity, lower prices to customers, and more investment. Building on that, railroads are confident they will be able to keep up with the economy's need for even more freight transportation in the future. For the Association of American Railroads, this is Tom White in Washington. Only Donner Rails brings you exclusive railroad action entertainment, giving viewers the best seat in the house as they ride with crews of expedited freight trains over the Sierra Nevada. Check out some of our hot new titles on DVD, like Cab Ride Over Donner Pass. That's good 97 stop and stretch. See how train concepts are constructed in the famed Roseville Rail Yard. Then climb aboard an EMD SD-60 freight heading east over the mighty Sierra Nevada. When severe winter storms hit the Sierra Nevada's dumping up to 35 feet of snow, look out. Here comes the flanger. Every time you go up and you're on that flanger and you can't see the end of the engine, it will raise the hair on the back of your neck. Catch a ride with the Flanders Night Crew in Winter Rails Over Donner. See many other titles by visiting our website at www.donnerrails.com. All right, welcome back to the Let's Talk Train Show. This is Shuttle Train Ted, and we're in Rosenberg, Texas. Rosenberg, Texas, just west of Houston, Texas. And we're sitting in the um, grassy area between the museum and building the replica depot and the mainline tracks. Located directly in front of us is a very nice garden layout, garden railroad layout. So there's a little bit of everything here today. As far as artifacts, we have a whole bunch of bouncy house uh, train rides, uh, trackless train rides. Um, snow stuff to eat, uh, Greek place to Greek food, and so 
lots for people to do here today and, and learn about Rosenberg Railroad history and, ro- and trains in general. We want to start our next conversation by saying the reason we're here is you, the listener. A whole bunch of, my, whole bunch of years ago, several of our listeners suggested that we come down here to um, Rosenberg in Railfest specifically. At that time, we weren't in, we weren't doing Texas because we were concentrating in Mississippi, Louisiana, and Tennessee. Well, now we're we're swinging a little bit west, and of course, last month we were in uh, North Carolina. Rosenberg, Texas, is a very nice pocket town west of uh, Rosenberg. It's downtown. is a typical downtown. I sit here and I, re- I can reminisce or I can just imagine what it was like to have this town as a railroad stop back in the day where there's, a, there's still a, a large transload concrete dock in the middle between the two tracks, uh, the two different railroad tracks. So it's, it really is a unique place, almost like Pacific, but it's a little bit... Um, a little bit more, a little bit more exciting uh, stuff going on. With that clarification, we want to say welcome to the main reason we're here. Uh, who, the guy, the guy invited us, the president of the Rosenberg Railroad Museum, Greg Cotton. Greg, thanks for asking us to come and allowing us to come on this partly sunny day. Ted, uh, we really are glad you could come and help us share our, our favorite little railroad museum uh, with your listeners. And so uh, we're really uh, glad you're here and hope you come back. Well, let's, let's start off. Let's get everybody out of the way. And, of course, if you're from St. Louis, it's always worded you go to high school. But on the Let's Talk train show, it's what's your, hobby, what's your railroading high, uh, background? So my uh, railroading background is garden railroad. So uh, I did HO when I was a kid, and uh, uh, my brothers and I built several layouts. And then I have to confess, when I went to work, I sort of became a workaholic for uh, 20 years and uh, got out of the, the hobby. And my wife made the mistake 10 years ago of giving me a G-scale train for Christmas to put around the Christmas tree. And after filling up a whole room at Christmas time with a layout and then a, uh, a, a ceiling train layout and then our garden layout. Uh, I enticed her in the hobby and now she does all the gardening and the little trees and the people and I do the trains and we've become very active members of the train club and that's how we got involved in the museum. Uh, our, our local train club, Houston Era G-Gagers, worked with the museum to build the Garden Railroad. So Houston Era G-Gagers provided the volunteer labor and design, and the museum raised the funding, and we worked in a partnership to get the Garden Railroad up. I became involved with the museum, and a couple of years ago went on the, the board of the museum, and then just this January uh, got the opportunity to become president of the museum. So uh, my my wife's gift of a Christmas train uh, uh, evolved far beyond what she would have expected uh, ten years ago. What is the president? What does the president of the Rosenberg Railroad Museum do? Well, uh, I'm president of the board, and so we're really involved 
with uh, long-term strategy and planning where the museum's going to go. We, we do have uh, a paid executive director and staff that run the museum day-to-day, but the board uh, helps with the fundraising and making sure we have the right people, that the staff have the resources they need to grow. Uh, and so it's really uh, that strategic direction and planning and fundraising that the board and that I as president of the board focus on. What, what does the board, what makes up the board? Um, where are they from? Are they raw railroaders or modelists or are they just community members? We really have a nice mixture. So we, uh, we have several uh, uh, modelers, probably half the board have some connection with railroading, either as modelers or as uh, ex-railroaders uh, working for one of the major railroads, uh, rail fans. Uh, 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 but then we also have a group of just interested community people who support the museum, see the benefit of the museum to the whole area. And so it's really that mix that's important because, frankly, a railroad museum takes a lot of money. Uh, our missions only cover about a third of our operating costs, so we're constantly having to raise money from the community, from grants and everything. So it really takes a mixture of people on the board to be able to raise all the money that we need to achieve all of our goals. Tell us a little bit, um, how did the museum get started? How, is it, you know, is it a... Um, a couple of guys get started in their back in the garage and say, "Hey, let's get let's get gathered some stuff," and and then it turns out to be a museum. How did the museum get started? So uh, in the early '90s, some of the uh, long-term Rosenberg residents uh, were disappointed in the decline of Rosenberg at the time. It had become a very a city in decline. The the passenger depot was closed down in the '50s. Uh, and that really had a very negative impact uh, on Rosenberg, and that negative impact continued. And there was, and we're going to pause because I can't. It's an oil train, stand train. It's like. And, Ted, that's just one of the 50 to 60 freight trains a day that we have go by here. Uh, so that's one of the reasons uh, we actually love working out on the Garden Railroad uh, so we can actually be rail fans and watch trains go by all day. But and, 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 and three Amtraks a week, right? Two. East, two, east, two? Well, one eastbound, one westbound a week. Okay. Which, which one? The Sunday? Sun, sun, I, I thought they ran three times a week. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, back to how the museum uh, started. So, uh, so these residents had uh, been in the city when it was an important passenger uh, hub, uh, and uh, and saw the decline, and really wanted to capture uh, the historical uh, value. This land that we're sitting on used to be uh, owned by Santa Fe, supported the depot that was uh, uh, in between the tracks, uh, the original depot. So they uh, worked with Santa Fe, and Santa Fe donated the original parcel of land uh, to form the museum. Uh, the, and then there, our first uh, exhibit a few years later was the Quebec, which is a 1879 vintage uh, passenger car started 
uh, as a passenger car uh, in Canada, became a private business car run by the Canadian government uh, through the early 60s, and then hopped around and the museum was able to buy it in auction uh, and fully restore it uh, as, a, uh, as it was uh, when it went out of service. Uh, and then we were fortunate enough or, uh, in uh, 2004 when Union Pacific stopped uh, the, the Tower 17, which was the last operating interlocker tower in Texas uh, that was in the Rosenberg area, and they donated that tower to the museum, and a group of our volunteers at the museum moved it and restored it, and so we actually have an operating interlocker tower that the interlocker still operates and operates a, a nearby semaphore, so that really became our, our premier exhibit uh, when that went up uh, in uh, 2006. The museum built a museum building that uh, in the early 2000s that's a simulation of the original uh, Santa Fe Union Depot that was built in 1890 and burned down in 1917. Uh, and then the Garden Railroad is our latest exhibit that we started building two years ago and it's still a work in progress. So over that time, the museum four or five years ago was probably uh, getting three or 4,000 visitors today, a, a year. And we started a, a refocus on education, on outreach to the community, uh, expanding the rail fest. And last year we had over 18,000 visitors. Uh, and this year we're running 40% attendance higher than last year. Uh, so the museum is really growing and, and doing more and more things with the community, uh, and, uh, and we're trying to uh, reinvest uh, in events like this RailFest. When you talk about community, um, do, you, are, do you have a, the, the established partnership with the Boy Scouts for their, and the Girl Scouts for their merit badge, uh, merit badge program? Yes, yeah, so we do uh, in the summer. Uh, we, we have a variety of summer educational programs, but that includes a very extensive uh, merit badge uh, program uh, for the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts. We also make heavy use of the Scouts uh, in volunteer projects. So as you go around the museum, uh, the, a lot of the uh, amenities, the sidewalks, some of the benches, the picnic tables have all been built by Eagle Scouts. Uh, uh, so it's a give and take both ways. So they're coming in and and volunteering as part of their various volunteer efforts, and we're offering the education programs. Uh, we're about to, uh, May 20th, uh, we have a homeschool day where we bring in uh, local homeschool programs. We're reaching out. We've designed educational curriculum that meets the, the education requirements of the local school districts so they can come out on field trip and, and actually fit right into a science topic or a history topic or whatever. And so we're becoming more and more popular. In fact, we've done that usually with grants, but when we told some of the schools that we were out of grant money, they said, we'll get the money if you just uh, offer the program. So more and more of those education programs are, are kicking off, not just during the summer, but all year uh, with the local school district. Like when we were talking with the, the, the previous city officials, uh, you know, how important knowing about the railroad history is, you know, and you know, each school has a, should have a local history component during one of, the, at least elementary school and at least one in high school. 
How does how do you see the Rosenberg Railroad Museum fitting into that component and in expanding the the railroad history component in the this, the region schools? Well, we uh, this year we did get funding, and so now we have a, a paid education director. So, and she has a background uh, in the school system and everything. She had been a volunteer for years, so she's familiar with the museum. Uh, and so she's reaching out to the schools to really fit in what our offerings with what they need. And so it's really a, a very cooperative uh, process. So we get the schools, uh, the resources they need uh, to really uh, understand railroad history and how important it is, especially to this area. But so uh, with that staff able to uh, develop curriculum and reach out to the schools, we're really helping to really expand that partnership with the schools. When I, I use the word, how do you, and I guess the phrase is, what is a rail fan? How do you take that and and focus that on, you know, the city, the, you know, stuff like that? Because a lot of people don't understand what a rail fanning is. How do you, as a president of the board of the museum, see your role in that part of the, the component? I, frankly, I think that's something that we could do a better job of. Uh, uh, I think we're uh, starting to work more with the city uh, just to educate them on the importance of railroad history. In fact, uh, the mayor in uh, her State of the City address this year, we provided her with a lot of historical material that she incorporated. About a third of her address ended up being the importance of railroading to the formation of Rosenberg and its current development, all from our archives and all from our material. So she was very appreciative that we got her all that material uh, and she made good use of it. So we're, we're trying to develop that uh, relationship. Uh, bringing her out here today was very important part of that. So I thank you for uh, getting us uh, to do that because uh, 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 I don't think she appreciates how valuable uh, rail fans can be to the community. We, we did analysis and about uh, only 10% of our visitors actually come from Rosenberg. A third come from what's called the Fort Bend County area, which is all this Southwest uh, area, Southwest of Houston. Another third come from Houston. And then the rest are coming from all over the country and, and about 5% from around the world. So we are bringing in tourism and rail fans from all over the country i don't think the city realizes that but that's sort of partially our fault so we've got to promote that with the city and work with the city on what they can do to make the city more rail fan friendly uh which will help the city and help the museum and so uh and uh hopefully this is a good first step towards that yeah i mean she's really interested in she she being a being a you know life, almost a lifetime resident of, of the city really helps and you wonder, all right, when you're a kid, you know, you bring your, you know, you go to school, you come here on a school trip, and then how do you get the kids to bring, you know, the kids bring their parents back, you know, the following week and say, hey, my dad, let's go back to this place. I want to explore this place better. I kind of felt that a little bit about her. I don't, I, I don't know if she's ever been here as a, you know, as, as a mayor. I, I don't know. Um, how do you, how do you get, 
how do you get past that? How do you how do you work to that to your advantage? The fact that she's never been here. Well, uh, we've already agreed to have lunch uh, and bring her back, and we're going uh, to so we're going to be reaching out to her. And uh, what can the museum do to help Rosenberg? What can Rosenberg do to help the museum? Uh, and uh, and work out that mutual partnership. So uh, you're right, and so uh, I think we're going to uh, start doing that, start doing a better job of that, and uh, uh, so uh, that's something I look forward to doing. When, I mean, it's 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 really kept well kept. It's not it's not run down. Um, the Quebec, of course, is undercover, which is a smart move. It's under a steel steel shed, um, so it's. Semi out of it's not. It is hurricane area down here. Right. So, but it's not snowy and not, um, you know, like it is in some places where it's left out in the open and you get all sorts of weather. The freezing, the thawing. Does it? What does that mean to the fact that it's already covered and already maintained? That, that's your. I guess that that would be your marquee piece. Well. We actually consider Tower 17 our marquee piece because it's Texas history, it's Rosenberg history. It was the tower, and we did uh, uh, not only uh, restore Tower 17 in 2004 when it was donated, we just did a major renovation last year with grants from various local foundations. Uh, uh, We've done a good job of maintaining the interior of the Quebec, but even though it's undercover, the, it needs a new paint job on the exterior, so we'll be uh, looking for grants uh, to uh, give it a new paint job on the exterior. There's nothing deteriorated; it's just faded. And so, uh, and then uh, we also have a, uh, a Mopac caboose that really needs some work. So we we actually have funding now. We had a Save Our Caboose campaign earlier, uh, and we're about to start uh, restoring that. So uh, we're we're trying to uh, maintain our exhibits uh, uh, so that we can all continue to enjoy them. Well, you know, it's been it's been excuse me, it's been a pleasure, Greg. And since you've mentioned some of the rolling stock, we'll get we'll delve into that in the next segment. But uh, beautiful, it turned out to be beautiful. It's partly cloudy. It was a little a little misty. Um, don't you wish you could have this a little less wind? Um, but um, a great turnout. Um, we'll, we'll be interested to see what the final totals are. Thank you very much for uh, doing and, and helping preserve America's economy. Thank you. All right, we'll be back. We're going to take our top of the hour break after this. Join us and help us make the American Passenger Rail Heritage Foundation better than ever. Your membership will help us further enhance our exhibits and attractions in north-central Missouri, including the Let's Talk Train Show. Our goal is to set up a museum dedicated to passenger rail history, including Amtrak, located in La Plata, Missouri. Memberships and contributions from friends like you will help us achieve this goal. For more information about the American Passenger Rail Heritage Foundation, membership, and opportunities available, visit our website, www.aprhf.org.
Are you tired of having to click and click and click to watch train videos on the web? Well, why don't you do what I did and give your fingers a break? TheRailChannel.com has great shows every week. They show contemporary and vintage programs that focus on real railroading and model railroads. If it runs on rails, I'm sure you'll find it on the Rail Channel. The programs are updated every Monday, and best of all, you can sit and watch it in full screen with only one click. Head on over to TheRailChannel.com right now. That's all one word, TheRailChannel.com. Watch it. Operation Lifesaver presents a 60-second lesson in common sense. Deodorant is not a shower. It's wrong to feed a baby salsa. Don't wear a kilt on a windy day. Never ask a bride why she's wearing white. Don't keep mouthwash next to the antifreeze. Heave on hoe, not on heave. Don't sniff a green sausage. Close your mouth when you hang glide. Don't tap dance on the roof in an ice storm. Don't go swimming in leather pants. If you're in a parade, wave. Never eat a burrito before a road trip. Don't wear lace to a rodeo. One's a malt ball, one's a moth ball. Always walk with pie. Never practice nunchucks in a crowded room. Never leave a plant near the litter box. Don't buy sushi on sale. Flowers with thorns make lousy corsages. Don't put a knock-knock joke in a eulogy. Cherry chapstick doesn't taste as good as it smells. Always take your shirt off before you iron it. Do I look fat? The answer is no. And most importantly, never, ever, ever forget your common sense around railroad tracks. A train can come from any direction, on any track, at any time. A message from Operation Lifesaver. Visit commonsenseuseit.com. All right, we're back live, and we're going to take our next, uh, here it is, we're, come on, intro. Here we go. Now arriving, oh. the Let's Talk Train Show. All There we go. Got to play that all on top of that all on top of the second hour break music created especially for the Let's Talk Train. So, all right, this is Shell Train Ted, and we're in Rosenberg, Texas. And it's a beautiful, partly sunny day today. A little, little breezy, but hey. It keeps the humidity down since we're down in Texas. All right. Our next area of informative uh, today is Lisa Rickard. She's the program director of the Rosenberg Railroad Museum. And Lisa, welcome to the uh, show and uh, to the windstorm. <laughs> we, we were just slightly ajar of the, the end of the, the replica station here. So uh, I don't even know if that would, though keep the wind the wind channel tell us a little bit about how you got started in trains and uh, then we'll move on from there well thank you ted for having me on um i actually got a little bit involved in trains uh, many years ago when i first met my husband and um we were young and met when we were still in high school and he had trains in his bedroom and i remember thinking did i really want to date a uh, a boy who had trains and i thought you know what i thought it was pretty cool so uh, we got married so many years after that, and uh, we've been married for 33 years, and we've always done model railroading. We started out with HO, and then 
because uh, our two daughters came along and we were running out of space, we switched to N-Scale. But we both love to be outdoors and we both love gardening. So we settled on garden railroading about 15 years ago. And uh, when the Rosenberg Railroad Museum opened about 13 years ago, um, we talked about getting involved, but our kids were still um, active in sports and dance and all those different things that kids do. And so uh, about four years ago, my husband got on the board for the Rosenberg Railroad Museum. And uh, like all good couples, when, you, um, when you're good volunteers, people find out about it. And, you know, when one, when one spouse does something, of course, the other spouse usually gets involved. So uh, about three years ago, the museum was uh, um, running into some financial issues. And so they um, decided they needed to minimize their staff. And I stepped up to uh, volunteer to be the executive director. Let's just say, how long has RailFest been going on? Is it, is it an every year thing? Has it been going on ever since it started? RailFest actually has been going on for nine years now and uh, used to incorporate it as a hobo festival, and we'd have hobo reenactors. And the event has grown so much that we've decided to separate the two events out. So we have a separate educational program with the hobo reenactors and the uh, Create a 1930s setting. Um, and RailFest um, actually became a huge event starting in 19, um, sorry, in 2013 when UP decided to send their mini train down here from Cheyenne, Wyoming. And that really put Rosenberg on the map. At that event, we had 2,000 people in one day. The museum typically would only have three to 4,000 people a year visit. So it was astronomical, as you can imagine. And uh, we were very... Um, we were very excited about the event, and it got a lot of people noticing. And one of them was the Houston area G-Gagers. And that's when we created that relationship in 2013 that has allowed us to build a beautiful garden railroad that you and I are looking at right now. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the railroads, um, both BNN and, and KCS and, and UP. Um, how supportive are they of the museum and... Um, also, talk about how you can um, grow the um, event to include possibly a, a visit from the uh, UP Heritage Unit or, uh, or or one of the Heritage Units from Burlington or in Santa Fe. Well, we most certainly would love to grow this event. Um, the three railroads that passed here you just mentioned have been supportive of us, and we certainly have appreciated um, uh, monetary donations. Um, the land that we're sitting on right now, part of it was donated by BNSF and the other by the city of Rosenberg. Um, and uh, Kansas City Southern has also uh, made donations for us to, to continue our operations here. Um, we have had um, trains uh, from BNSF that have been able to stop by here uh, momentarily. Um, our problem is, is these tracks are very busy and uh, we do not have a spur or any means by which to pull a train in. And I'm sure you've have talked to some of the people before uh, I got on, and that's a goal for the museum in the next few years. So we would love to have that, and that, that was tremendous. Last fall, we had a train stop by here and honor uh, the real heroes. We talked about police and EMS and first responders. So we had a special event where they stopped by here and allowed them to board the train for a special excursion, which was the train that came from the... Um, uh, Galveston Railroad Museum. So um, we've been very happy about their support, um, and we continue to want to grow that relationship. We've visited UP and their facilities. 
Um, we've actually had, um, they do a training for the people that uh, maintain the switches, and we took them out here and introduced them to Tower 17 and how we still are able to operate the semaphore signal here. So they were very excited to see that and uh, the old versus the new technology. When you, I guess you want to, when you start, it's always, the rarest, Rail Fest is always the second week of the month. That's why we're here live instead of doing it, recording it in the week, middle of the week. How long does it take to start putting it on? I mean, when do you start, do you start tomorrow? Obviously, you don't start tomorrow, or do you start tomorrow? And and how do you get the feedback for what do you want to do the next year? Do you, well, that's a good question, Ted. It, it takes um, almost a whole year of planning. Um, we have um, certainly uh, reached out to UP to try to get that train to come visit us again, and sometimes you need to get that two years in advance. But for the most part, um, the real work starts about six months in advance. There's lots of planning to be done. So, um, But we need to book a lot of our um, vendors that come out here. We book our, our music and entertainment way in advance to make sure, because April is a very popular time here to do events and festivals. We want to make sure we get them. Um, we also have to file with the city and get permitting to close the streets. All those things take a lot of time. It's a tremendous amount. We probably have 150 volunteers today that we coordinate. So it's one person's job just to coordinate all those volunteers. And like you said, it's uh, the second Saturday always is our real annual Rail Fest event. And so um, it's actually started to really gain a, a great reputation. Uh, we used to have a few hundred people come, and now we have a few thousand people come. One of the things, and as I said earlier to um, Greg and a couple other people, it's all about you keep you keep it focused on railroading. It's not a community. It's a community focused on railroading event, not a community fair where they you know you can come in and sell siding. Because I I've got I've been to several quote rail rail weekends, and it's all about the. Um, something just fell over. <laughs> Making sure it's not something our heads above our, our tent above our heads. Um, how 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 come how how important is that? Well, first of all, we're a museum, so um, our mission statement says we exist for the purpose of education and preservation of rail history in Fort Bend County. So when I say vendors, I just mean food vendors. And it's really become a necessity. In order for people to come out here and stay here, there aren't enough restaurants in historic downtown Rosenberg to handle the thousands of people that come in here. So in order for us to keep people here and not have them leave and go off and drive three miles away to the nearest McDonald's, we invited food vendors to come out. So that's the only people we have. We invite model railroaders to come out and display their um, model railroads, uh, S-gagers and, and other groups. Um, so it's all about education. Now we have Brazos Bend State Park that's here. Um, again, uh, I wouldn't say learning about wildlife, but, you know, again, it's educational. But um, really teaching people about how railroading has impacted the history of this country can really be brought into so many different topics. And uh, RailFest is a way for us to raise awareness. Now, the kids may jump in the bounce house and the kids may rod the little uh, uh, mechanical train that we have out in the street. Yeah, but it's still, but it's, what, what I'm saying is still, if a, if a bounce house is, 
Exactly. It's a bounce house that looks at a train. But while they're here, they're also going to walk through the 1879 Quebec rail car and be amazed at the beauty of it. They're going to go up into Tower 17 that operated for 100 years. They're going into our Mopac caboose. And they're walking around the museum with all of our artifacts and exhibit. So they're getting exposure, even though they're not realizing it, they're learning something. One of the components that I think is missing, and maybe can be incorporated next year, like say the, the few minutes that the band's not playing, is actually having reenactors or someone read a book, not the Polar Express, maybe, maybe it, no, no, not the Polar Express. Um, although I'm sure Alan Harper would love that because he could get some his, his group can get some uh, licensing money for it. But reading something about rare radio, really learning about the Kate, because you're the Casey Jones story, learning something about the history of railroading. I have somebody, you know, demonstrate how to work, how to work a, a, you know, you can't necessarily park a train out front, but you can get, um, you can get maybe one of the railroads to bring some of the mechanical stuff. And since you close those streets, you know, get them to offload it for the day on the street, you know, just roll, they, cause they can just roll it off one of their trucks or whatever, or, and show them, you know, how they pick up rails, how they, you know, something somewhere where you can keep that way. Well, and rail fest originally was called hobo days. And, um, when I got involved with the museum, um, less than a hundred people used to attend the event. So, we realized that maybe the way it was marketed or the theme was not appealing to people, or maybe we just weren't, you know, doing a good enough job, um, you know, reaching out there, advertising. But, of course, as a museum, we do it on a very limited budget. So what we discovered was when we turned it more into a festival fun day, people would be bringing, willing to bring their children out. So, as I mentioned before, they're, they're coming and jumping in a little bounce house and riding around in the train and getting their faces painted. But they're walking around, everything's train-themed, and they're learning about it. So what we found out was if we engaged with homeschool groups, if we engaged in summer programs, if we engaged in the, the schools around us, and we applied for some grants. There's a lot of schools in this area, local public schools, that are Title I, which means more than 40% of their students are economically disadvantaged. And so we got a grant to underwrite the cost of a field trip. And so we bring these kids out here, and we um, have been working with hobo reenactors, and we create a 1930s environment. So we taught kids about chores um, that they would have done back in the 1930s. We have WPA signs set up. The hobo reenactors have a, a hobo camp set up, like the hobo uh, forest uh, jungles, what they used to call the hobo jungles set up. They light a fire. They cook on the stove. They are fully in character. And so the children are given bindles, and they're given a list of things that they need to go on a little scavenger hunt with. And so they went around in downtown Rosenberg, and they were told, they were given a map, and they were given the hobo um, symbols and given a piece of chalk. So they went over across the way to the soda shop, and they had old straw brooms, and they were given a story. So their story might have been, I'm a 13-year-old boy whose father just died, and I need to bring some money home for my family. Or I'm a 20-year-old young woman who's going to go work uh, and the Harvey houses, and I'm trying to work my way across the country, and so I'm just looking for some extra food or, or money to help me on my way. So all these, you know, hard cases of people, as we know, during the Depression time, 
they had to play that role and go ask for some help. And the merchants in downtown Rosenberg offered them a job. They might have scrubbed the sidewalk with an old brush. They might have swept for a little while. They might have dusted with an old feather duster. And in exchange, they might get a bar of soap or uh, we gave them play money in some places or they got uh, a sack of flour or other items to put in their bindle, and then they uh, were able to use their chalk to leave a little message behind. So that was a very significant and educational event, and a lot of parents um, registered their children. As a matter of fact, it became so popular, uh, it got booked uh, a year in advance. Immediately after it was over with, a homeschool group called us and said, we'd like to book for next year, and we are like, oh, okay, we haven't even put it on our website yet. And I said, well, how many people do you think? Well, I've got 230 people. And we have a big co-op. And it was like, whoa, that was the whole event. That booked the whole event right there. So now we do it twice uh, because we have so many people. So we've learned to um, separate out what's a festival and what's a truly educational event. And and unfortunately, uh, while I would love it to be all educational, that's not always what will draw out 2,000 people in a crowd. The next thing I guess I want to focus on is a lot of people don't know about the rare, you know, the railroad's history here, and you know, the, the fact that the, the town was built by, because, and then most of the modern day people don't like don't like trains because they're noisy, you know, the quiet zone, you know, trains are quiet now going to be quiet zones because people don't, you know, even though the the train was there before the house, you, you know, or they were living there. How do you deal with that? How do you get? How, is there a way to get them to come around to understand how important the railroad is to them themselves? Well, we try to do it one person at a time. Um, One of the things people do when they come to visit the museum is they get taken on a tour, and there's a little video that talks about train safety. So we spend a lot of time trying to educate people on how many trains pass by here every day. And so there's 40 to 60 trains. And uh, so we try to um, turn it into a little bit of a lesson. We say, well... You know, there's a power plant down towards Richmond, and uh, every day, two to three coal trains pass by with with as many as 100 coal cars bringing coal to that plant, and then they turn around, the empty cars head back to Cheyenne, Wyoming. We actually even turned it into part of a lesson for a Boy Scout merit badge on railroading. And so we said, you know, what if we decided we don't like trains, you know? We don't want to stop at them. We don't want to be slowed down by having to wait for them in traffic. We don't like the noise they make when we're sleeping in our beds at night and we can hear their whistle. So what if we just said, you know what, you know, if we want to just have 18-wheelers carry that coal from Cheyenne, Wyoming. So we calculated. And what we calculated was almost 270,000 18-wheelers would be needed every year. Wow. Just, yes, 270-something thousand uh, a, a quarter of a million 18 wheelers would be needed to bring the coal that that one power plant and it does provide power i said but that's just coal what about the orange juice that's being carried to the grocery store what about the cars on their way to the dealership what about all of the million products that you buy the thousands of products that are available in stores at target at walmart at the grocery i said you know what would happen we tell the children your mom and dad would pull out of the driveway and they'd have to stop They wouldn't be able to drive down the street. So the trains are the mules. They bear the burden of carrying our goods in this country. And so we use our example in the uh, model train display of how trains bring their goods 
to a center and a distribution center, and then they go out in trucks and, you know, carry the gas to the gas station or the, the refrigerated items to the grocery store and how, you know, we also teach them about respecting trains. We talk about the danger of them. And so we have several videos from Operation Lifesaver we show to children. It really, you know, and, that, and that's something to be focused on. It's not, this is, this is an entertainment, education through entertainment type thing. It's not, a, it's not a theme park. It's not a, you know, there's no exciting rides that go up and loop and get sick and, and peek your hands at. But when you, when the train, and, and as we've seen today and we've heard, when the trains go by, the engineers have seen all these kids focused on the train tracks and, and the kids are waving and, the, you know, the engineers are, you know, because we're all, we're all kids at heart. They understand what it's like to see that train roll by. It, it, re- it just, it captures the soul and captures the essence of what Amer- what made America great. You know, the Transcontinental Railroad, um, down here, the cotton and, and stuff to the mills and, you know, that went through, um, and back even, okay. even, even, even before, you know, before that, the, the beef, the cattle from the plains to the slaughterhouses in Fort Worth and, and, and stuff like that. But the modern, the modern person, the 20 year old, the 30 year old don't get it. They just, they don't, they don't want to stand by and move it on next year when you come. Would you would you expand to a couple blocks, or or what? How could you how could you get better? How could you make this better? Well, um, we're limited by physical space, obviously, um, and how many you know people we could actually fit on the property. Um, with with the numbers I'm seeing today, I think we're going to go back and tie a record. Probably we made a few years ago of 2,000 people. Um, and to expand it, we'll have to go out into uh, downtown Rosenberg and close more streets and uh, maybe get more people involved. But again, we want to keep it all about trains. We don't want people selling vinyl siding or anything like that. But in today's world, people want to be entertained. That's why there's so many theme parks. And while we're not going to turn this into a theme park, we make it a fun, exciting, safe family environment. And people really seem to appreciate that. And having uh, exhibits like the Garden Railroad is a live uh, miniature version, of course, of uh, trains running down the tracks. And you just look at the people's faces from the the three-year-old little boy or girl uh, up to the 70- or 80-year-old grandfather. Everybody is very delighted to see the Garden Railroad exhibit and the uh, model train exhibit. So um, those types of things are something we're going to continue to add because it continues to attract people. And the la- I guess the last group of questions is um, what's being done um, to help um, the the museum and the program director with your your community colleges and universities? How are you getting those institutions um, involved in this museum? Well, our current director is working with some of our universities to um, uh, get internships here, um, uh, either for museum studies or, um, or even uh, engineering. Um, and also um, applying for more grants has allowed us to expand uh, our exhibits and allows us to um, add uh, um, more and more items. We're getting ready to hear a train here in about a minute, so I'll probably cut out. 
But we've had over 18,000 people visit last year, the year before that 15, the year before that 11. So we're growing by leaps and bounds, whereas the first eight years this museum was open, maybe only... <laughs> well, there goes one of those trains. That's a BNSF carrying, uh, looks like gravel, huh? Yep. Gravel or silica. Not in, it's in hopper cars, but it's not in flow cars. All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll come back. We're going to talk with one of the longtime volunteers. We'll be back after this break, live from Rosenberg, Texas. This is the Association of American Railroads audio service, and today we're reporting on the early days of America's railroads. When the first railroads began operating in the United States in 1830, the entire nation had a population of a little less than 13 million people. Most of them lived in communities or on farms huddled near the Atlantic coast or along navigable rivers that fed into it. Inland there were great natural resources, good land for farming, forests enough to provide shelter for millions, mineral wealth beyond imagination. But those resources were largely untapped. In fact, the entire region west of the Mississippi River had a population less than that of today's Richmond, Virginia. The railroad would change all of that. As tracks were laid west from the Atlantic, new towns sprang up. Industry and commerce developed. Agricultural production increased. Mountains, rivers, distance, these were no longer insurmountable barriers to trade and travel. Railroads conquered them all and in the process helped transform the United States from an agrarian society into a mighty industrial giant that spanned an entire continent. For the Association of American Railroads, this is Tom White in Washington. Down at the Toll-free, 888-814-3669. All right, welcome back. The train has departed this, uh, <laughs> this, this station. <laughs> and she said, it never did stop, actually. It just kept on rolling by. Um, now we want to focus on what's actually here at the museum. And uh, one of the best ways to, to do that is actually ask one of the volunteers, and um, as what I thought was the pride and joy, because it's a rolling stock, but actually, since I'm a depot depot nut, it's actually the the tower. And uh, Tower 17 um, stood here, switching uh, for the interconnect between the two, the two railroads and uh, the station. And uh, the best, I guess, the person that's most knowledgeable about it would be um, Glenn Fair. And Glenn, thank you very much for being a member of the museum and, and being a volunteer and being on the show today. Glenn, if you would, tell me about your railroading background. Where did you get started? How did you get started? How did you get bitten by the bug? Good question. Uh, I don't really have any uh, real railroading background. 
Uh, I worked as an engineer in the process industries, a mechanical engineer, but always doing pipes and valves and stuff like that, rather than real mechanical engineering like trains. But I've been interested in trains since I was a kid. We grew up with a New York Central line running by our backyard. And the interest, I guess, has sort of ebbed and flowed over the years. When I retired in mid-2013, the museum was looking for volunteers. and I knew this was a great place to watch trains, so uh, I signed up. And the rest is history. Yeah. And we have a... Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, now that the one train gone gone east, now now it's time for a, <coughs> an empty tank train to head west, head west, or maybe it's a full tank train. Being that stuff. Be down on the Gulf Coast, you see lots of tank trains. Okay. Well, let's let's get into the a little bit of the history of, of Tower 17, and uh, why was it there, and uh, how did it get here? Okay. Rosenberg is at the intersection of two railroad lines. Uh, now it's the Union Pacific and the BNSF, who you're hearing go by right now, but just a little bit west of where we are located here, the BNSF line which has paralleled UP from Richmond, basically takes a right turn to head up towards Seeley and uh, eventually Fort Worth. It has to cross over the Union Pacific Line to do that. So this tower was built in 1903 by Southern Pacific, which has been around here since you know the late 1800s. Uh, the other line was the Santa Fe at that point, but you had to get the train safely through that crossover. And the state of Texas had decreed everywhere you had a crossover, you had to have some form of control. Tower 17, you can tell by the number, was the 17th tower that was built in Texas. It was one of, I believe, 215 of them at one point. And this was the last manned operating tower in Texas. It was the last time one to be shut down. So it operated continuously from 1903 through 2004. You had people here 24 hours a day, seven days a week to get the train safely through this interlocking. And even today we've got 40 to 50 trains over a 24 hour period. So it's a pretty heavy traffic area. Uh, when Union Pacific shut the tower down in 2004, they offered it to the museum, which had just opened. Museum of course accepted. So UP said, well, come on down and get it. So the volunteers had to move it from where it was about half a mile from here at the, the crossover to where it's now located on the museum ground. It took them close to two years from the time they started moving the tower. They basically demolished the first story, took the second story over here on a truck, and then rebuilt it over here. So until the point it was ready for... Uh, Visitors again was close to two years, so it was a pretty major project. And when you see it sitting here, towering above the, the grass in the yard, what does that make you feel as a volunteer? Did, you know, did, is, is that a sense of pride? Absolutely. Tower 17 is the only railroad structure that has survived in Rosenberg. 
there was an old Union Depot located just east of here. Uh, it was a typical sort of a Santa Fe small depot with adobe-type walls and, and red tile roof and so on. It was demolished at some point after Amtrak took over passenger services in the 70s. Uh, within a short time, the trains no longer stopped in Rosenberg. This uh, depot was taken out of service and then finally demolished. Previously to that, there was a Union Depot here that had been built in the late 1800s and only lasted through the 1920s when it too was destroyed. And I'm not real clear on the details of whether it was uh, it caught fire, was demolished in a hurricane, or was just taken out of service because the, the little depot was built quite a, uh, fairly soon after that. But if you look at the museum building we have here now, it's actually a pretty fair replica of what the old Union Depot used to look like. Although it's just a basic metal building, we've set it up with an awning around the whole building. It's a two-story building. Uh, we've had an artist has done windows and uh, doors and stairways and everything. So if you stand back and look like it's not too hard to imagine that you're here anytime up to the 1920s looking at the real thing. So it captures a little bit of the, of the spirit of the old depot. And of course, it's metal because of the hurricane. You can't. They, they won't. It's too. It's too cost prohibitive to build to build a replica with the fact that you're in the in the major hurricane track. Um, when you when you sit here today and you look at all these these people, a lot of them are here with their kids. You know, they brought their kids. What happens? To you as a volunteer how how does that make you feel and how how do you get to interact with the with the, the visitors here well it, it definitely makes me proud to see this many people in here I mean usually we are open during the week and you know on a good day we might have a hundred a couple of hundred people come through here Largely families. We get a lot of uh, grandma and grandpa have got the grandkids for the weekend, so they bring them in. We get a few rail fans that come in here, and, and obviously it's a great place to watch trains. But to see a day like this where we're being supported by not only the local community, but I would say from Houston and probably quite a bit further from that. And we're seeing... I've got to talk to a lot of folks as they've come in today. I've been working the, the second floor of the interlocking tower where the interlocking machine is. So I've got to talk to a lot of people who are here. And again, it's a cross-section. A few rail fans, grandma and grandpa with the kids, uh, young parents with young kids. Uh, what really makes me happy is to see the six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds who are already rail fans although they may not realize it but they they've been introduced to trains by thomas or polar express or whatever they've had a chance to come out and see the the real thing and they realize that that's the cool thing is to see these you know four thousand horsepower monsters going by the fence uh, 20 feet away so uh, I th i'd like to think that we're developing the rail fans of tomorrow at this location and to see them here today, it, it just makes me proud. We interviewed the mayor to start off the show, and, and we learned a little bit about the community. Does it surprise you that the, even though she lives here, does it surprise you that even though she's supportive of the museum, she's actually never came, came and visited? 
Actually, it's the first time that I've met the current mayor. Uh, seems like a wonderful lady, and she does seem to be very uh, supportive. The previous uh, mayor of the city was extremely supportive. So we've had a lot of support from the city over the years. Mayor Morales was very supportive uh, personally. Uh, the local county judge, county commissioners and all have all been in here. Even some of the local federal and state politicians have, have been in here. So I would say on a political level, we're very well supported from the surrounding area. So I was not surprised to see the current mayor in here today. Uh, I actually didn't realize it was her first visit, but I'm glad she got here and I'm sure she'll be back. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's unique, that the fact that we can because you know the show brought her here, she's seen she sees some of the interactivists and she can come back at a at a different time and and, and take the time to walk through. Um, something else just some, <laughs> one of the derail signs on the section of the track that's behind us just got picked up and laid down. Um, let's let's focus now a little bit on the um, the rail car that you have here and the caboose. The caboose is a te- um, an old Mopac. It's not a Texas Pacific, which was originally the, the road that ran through here. Um, where did it come from? How did how is it how is this restoration prog- progress? Okay, our caboose uh, is actually probably one of the last ones that was manufactured. It was built in 1972 for Missouri Pacific. It's an international uh, car, wide vision caboose. Uh, we've got a, an upper uh, cupola which hangs out over the side, therefore the wide vision. This caboose, from what I understand, was used by Missouri Pacific, which was one of up to eight different railroads that came through Fort Bend County at one time. Uh, so it was used by them. Whether it was used in this area or not, I think it probably was because it ended up here. My understanding is after Mopac took it out of service in the early 1980s, it was sold to Dow Chemical. And they had it down at their uh, big petrochemical plant in Freeport for a number of years. They used it as literally a vehicle uh, when they brought school kids in to show them the plant. They taught them a little bit about tra- uh, train and transportation safety. They would tour the kids around the uh, plant in one of their switchers, pulling the uh, the Mopac caboose with the kids riding in it. So they did this for a number of years, exposed kids to, to both rail and road transport. Eventually, I guess they decided that it was becoming more and more of a liability risk. Uh, it wasn't a particularly comfortable way to get around the, uh, the petrochemical plant. So sometime, I believe in the 80s, they set up a contest and they invited all of the local nonprofit organizations to submit uh, their vision of what they would use this caboose for. So I guess they had about a dozen or more entries. It was eventually the Children's Museum uh, in Houston, who were located in Herman Park at the time, who had the best, uh, I guess, pitch for the caboose. They won the caboose and it was relocated to Herman Park downtown. Now, I believe that uh, Dow ended up giving each of the entrants uh, a fairly sizable financial grant just for entering the contest. So, uh, 
The Children's Museum had it down in Herman's Park for a number of years. At some point, they needed to do an expansion down there, do some building. They no longer had room for the caboose. So they donated it to the Rosenberg Railroad Museum, I believe, in 2006. So it's been here about 10 years. And uh, it was brought in here on a truck. It was craned onto the, the current uh, tracks where it's sitting. And it's basically been here for the last 10 years. We tour people through it. We tell them a little bit about cabooses, the history of them, why they were originally used, how they fell out of use as the crew train, uh, train crews got smaller and smaller. Eventually there was no need. And as the trains got higher and wider, you could no longer see anything ahead of you anyway. So finally, probably by the early 80s, they were taken out of service. And this is one of the ones that fortunately did survive. It, it sort of went a little bit of a roundabout route to get to the museum, but we're glad it's here. This is our current restoration project. Uh, the weather has not been kind to it. Both the sun, as you can see, the paint is pretty faded. Uh, we've had some problems with water leakage which we have been sort of plugging up on a as-we-could basis. But it really needs to be, uh, you know, a lot of the interior uh, finishing needs to be pulled out, find the leaks, patch them up, repaint the thing, remodel the interior so it looks more like it did when it was actually being used. So this is our focus now. We have received a few grants from different uh, companies, agencies, individuals, and I think we're almost at the point now where we can actually start some exploratory work to determine what we have to do. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to um, continue our conversation about um, what's here at the museum. We'll be back after this. Now available, 3D Train Stuff's new Donner Pass route, the High Sierra Crossing for Microsoft Train Simulator. This new add-on features a 90-mile segment of Southern Pacific's scenic overland route, which runs over the High Sierra Mountains between Colfax, California, and Truckee, California. And it's set back in the 1950s at the height of the steam and diesel transition period. Yes, now you can step back in time and learn firsthand what it took to get a heavy fruit block train over the hill from the engineer's seat of a big AC cab forward mallet, or pull helper service duty with one of SB's famous 280 consolidations, or maybe you prefer running an express mail train on a very tight schedule with some SP Black Widow Funnets. Yes, it's a blast from the past. To learn more about this exciting new product, please visit our website at www.3dtrainstuff.com or call us at 1-760-728-1787. That's 760-728-1787. 3D Train Stuff. It's more than just trains. Trainparty.com, the one-stop shopping center for all things trains and parties for kids of all ages. TrainParty.com is a complete resource for the train-themed party supplies, favors, toys, and gifts. TrainParty.com has over 700 railroad-related party items to choose from. Themes such as Amtrak Train, Little Chug Party, Whistle Stop Party, and many more make it simple to select a theme and get your party rolling down the rails. Items available include partyware, games, puzzles, balloons, piñatas, invitations, locomotive engineer costumes, hats, railway series children's books, train cake pans, cupcakes, etc. Don't forget now, trainparty.com on the web 
for any of your train-themed party needs from start to finish. It's the only place you need to go to get what you want and need. Check it out now, trainparty.com. All right, back live in Rosenberg, Texas at the Rosenberg Railroad Museum's Rail Fest. And uh, we're going to continue our conversation about what's here at the museum um, with the one of the most knowledgeable uh, docents, volunteers here at the museum. Glenn, um, tell us a little bit about the uh, passenger car that uh, sits underneath the, uh, the uh, steel enclosure. The passenger car we have here uh, is called the Quebec. Uh, there's, as best I can determine, absolutely no reason for it to be here. It was built for Northern Railway of Canada in 1879. It is actually originally an all-wood passenger coach. Uh, so it would have applied the trade somewhere north of Toronto for probably 30, 40 years. Northern Railroad was taken over by Grand Trunk and then eventually merged into Canadian National. CN is responsible for what we see here now because in 1925, they converted it from a wooden passenger coach into what appears to be a heavyweight steel business car. In fact, it's still a wooden coach with steel siding on it. But inside, they've remodeled it. They've got a parlor in the back of the car. They've got a couple of bedrooms for uh, this car would have been a private car used probably by the president of the railroad. So they've got a bedroom for him and his family. Actually got a pull-down bunk so he could bring a couple of kids. Joining room, uh, best we can tell, was for a business assistant. And then a third smaller bedroom was for the, the steward who looked after the car, cooked, cleaned, made the beds, that sort of thing. Next to that is a uh, pretty fully equipped kitchen. Originally had a coal-fired stove and oven, which unfortunately we no longer have. Has hot and cold running water, which we still have the tanks and the plumbing for that. Has a fairly decent-sized icebox as well. So this is where the steward would have prepared meals for the guests who were on board as well as, as the president. The last room in the car is a, a lovely dining room. It has really been nicely restored. But this is where the president and his guests would have eaten. And I'm figuring that this is probably where a lot of the business got done. Uh, this car would have been used by the president to meet with customers, to meet with employees. To, it served not only as his transportation, but his hotel, his meeting room, and his dining room. So once he got onto this car, he could be out for weeks at a time and didn't need to go anywhere. The the people came to him rather than the other way around. Now, if you think about the 20s through the 60s when this car was retired, this was a good way for the railway folks to get around. They hooked this onto the back of a regular passenger train, which all of the railroads had back then, and they would pull it wherever the boss wanted to go. They could set it off on a siding. They could either meet people while they were traveling or when they reached their destination. Uh, there's a lot of, I guess, anecdotal history of this car that it was used by uh, actually politicians and even royalty. Uh, this may or may not be true, uh, Let's say that it's true. So perhaps the king and queen uh, rode on this train across Canada when they, they visited in the late 1930s. Uh, politicians probably rode on this at one point or another while they were traveling or when they needed to get from point A to point B. This uh, 
railroad car almost got scrapped. In 1965, CN took it out of service. They had it out in Winnipeg on their scrapping track. From what I understand, it had been laid over on its side. They had removed the trucks. They were ready to to burn it because it was a, a wooden car. At the last minute, a gentleman by the name of Arthur E. LaSalle heard about it. Now, this guy came from the South. He was born in Louisiana, but he owned and operated a small company that did uh, rail car and locomotive restorations and also ran a number of railway parks in the southern U.S. So he had a drag dragged back down to North Carolina, we believe Cherokee, where they had their office. It served as a office there for a number of years. They moved it to a museum uh, near Jacksonville. Another one out in uh, in uh, New Mexico. And the lore is that the car actually passed by Rosenberg as it was being pulled out to New Mexico. But eventually the museum in New Mexico didn't get off the ground. The car was purchased by the George Foundation, which is a historical uh, group who has a big uh, uh, sort of pioneer park south of here. They had it down there for a few years as a an entrance pavilion, decided it didn't fit with their pioneer theme. I believe they sold it to the museum in the mid-90s, and it was moved in here as one of the railroad museum's uh, first artifacts. Now, as you can see, it was a pretty roundabout route for it to get from Toronto down here, but here it sits. And it's lovely. The museum restored it in uh, 2009 back to what it looked like in the 1920s. So it gives you an idea of how railroad personnel traveled around up until the 1960s. And some of the other interesting things, there's a nice, it almost looks like a, semi-functional uh, water tower sitting, that we're sitting next to. Um, although, if you pull it down right now, it floods the Garden Railway. Yeah, we, we have a, uh, a small replica of a wooden water tower which was built there here. This was donated by uh, one of the original patrons of the museum. And it looks like you probably would have seen a lot of the small towns around here back when they were still running steam. We've got probably uh, an inch and a half galvanized steel line that runs up to it, representing how they would have pumped water up into the tower. It has a pull-down spout, and what we tell the kids and the visitors is that the locomotive and its tender would have pulled up beside the tower. They would have pulled down the spout, dumped two or 3,000 gallons of water very quickly into the, uh, the tender of the steam locomotive, and then the steam train would have gone on its way. Uh, one of the many... Uh, displays that we have on here. If you like, I can just roll on and talk a little bit more about the others. One of the more recent things that we have in here right beside the water tower is a fairly large garden-scale railroad that has built, been built as a joint venture between the Rosenberg Railroad Museum and the Houston area G-Gagers. It is a replica of downtown Rosenberg and downtown Richmond. And the tracks that we have going through this area uh, match what we have outside the fence. So we are able to explain to the kids and to our visitors what downtown Rosenberg looked like back in those days. We're in the process of installing some buildings which will be sponsored by local businesses and both to promote their businesses and to show what historic Rosenberg looked like. 
in our back building, our children's area, we have a children's playroom. We have a classroom that uh, we use not only for children's programs during the school year, during the summer. They run a model railroad camp there a couple times during the summer. And we also have a fairly large HO scale model railroad, which was built by a local gentleman the name of uh, Lee Frisbee. He spent probably 20 years uh, working on this after he retired. And it is sort of a generic California. You've got some city areas, industrial areas, mountain area areas, little village that looks somewhat like Solvang in, in uh, near Santa Barbara in the mountains. And uh, we've got four or five trains running around there, but we have a big union station like you would have had in the big cities, uh, freight rail yard by the industrial areas. And it's fairly neat. A lot of the kids just love seeing the four or five trains running around there. And it gives them a, a little bit of a, an introduction to what railroading looked like probably in the 50s and 60s. When you come down here to Railfest, and you've been here several years, it's growing, it's growing, it's growing, it's growing. What would you, do you see things that can be improved? Do you see things that can't be, you know, that we should, that, that should be dropped and, and or dropped for a couple, not now or a couple of years? Well, what I see that, that obviously needs improvement is the caboose. And that is something that we're starting to address now. But uh, all of the volunteers and, and the, the museum board want to see that restored, see it weatherproof, get it back to looking like what it looked like when it was a Missouri Pacific caboose in the in the 70s and early 80s. The other project that we have going on right now is the children's building that I just muse uh, just mentioned. They've replaced the roof, uh, got rid of a lot of leaks and that sort of thing in the last year or so. The next uh, project that we're doing is we're going to be expanding the classrooms and expanding the model train room, putting a couple more model railroads in there. So we also plan to improve our bathroom facilities out there. So hopefully we don't have to have all these porta potties around here when we bring in more than a couple of hundred people. Uh, the other thing that a lot of people like myself would really love to see is starting to get a handle on our archives here. We have a very large storeroom upstairs where we have our offices and we've got literally hundreds of things that have been donated to the museum. Everything from old typewriters, radios, telephones, uh, lanterns, tools, all sorts of, of model railroad equipment and stuff that we really need to get into, classify that, yeah, this is something we can use around the museum as an artifact, or, yeah, this is cool, but it really has nothing to do with railroad history in Rosenberg. We need to get busy and sell this to bring some funding into the museum. So all you historians, archivists, museum workers that are out there, this is an opportunity for you to display your talents Come on in here and help us sort this stuff out and get a handle on it. When you look at today, I mean, with all the volunteers, and they come from all over the place, and then you look at the, um, the makeup of the, the, the visitors here today, you, Rosenberg is, in, is a unique setting. It's south. It's near the, 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 the Mexican border of Texas. Um, that's something that we don't really have north up north and, and stuff. 
does, you know, kids are kids, right? So, but how a lot of these, a lot of these people, uh, a lot of the demographics, a lot of the different um, the Hispanics, they have a different aspect. They see a different aspect of, of the railroading or whatever, what have you. How can, how can the museum work with that? Okay, well, one of the main points that we haven't talked about here is we've talked about the Union Pacific line and the BNSF lines that come through here. We also have a Kansas City Southern line, which starts here. Uh, KCS runs their trains uh, over from Beaumont on UP, and then just west of here, they have re- rebuilt what used to be called the Macaroni Line. This is an old Southern Pacific line that ran from Rosenberg down to Victoria. That was taken out of service, and uh, after Union Pacific bought Southern Pacific, they had to divest that. So they sold it to the former TFM, which was the Tex-Mex Railroad, and they had it for probably 10, almost 15 years. And then in 2009, by this time, Kansas City Southern had uh, bought all of TFM. It has been turned into KCS to Mexico. Uh, they run that into the interior of Mexico. So what they're doing is they're running their trains from the Midwest down to Beaumont over here on UP, transfer to their own tracks to get down to uh, Victoria, short hop over to Robstown on UP, and then they've got their own tracks into Mexico. They cross over at Laredo, and they service all of the auto plants down there. Uh, we see all sorts of automobiles coming back here. We see uh, by here, we see petroleum products. We see steel, both uh, steel coiled going down to the auto plants. We see scrap steel that they'll be using uh, uh, to make into new steel down there. And we are very quick to point out the number of Mexican uh, rolling stock that we see going through here. We see a lot of... Uh, uh, tank cars, box cars from the Mexican railroads and from the Mexican uh, industrial companies coming by here. We do see a number of KCX, KCS de Mexico uh, locomotives coming through here. And uh, on UP and BNSF, we see a fair number of Ferromex locomotives coming through as well. So we're always quick to point this out to the Hispanic population who's coming through here. Uh, We do actually get a lot of uh, visitors uh, here from Mexico as well, people who are coming to to visit family in the area or who are just uh, visiting Houston for a weekend or a week or whatever. So uh, we have live, I would say, Mexican history coming through here, and uh, we're seeing the full... Um, international trade going through here with the, the Ferromex and the KCS to Mexico uh, traffic coming through here. It points, it's a live, uh, uh, we're seeing the, the international trade going through here. Well, Gwen, thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, it's, a, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, we'll, you know, again, we'll, we're going to stick around for the rest of the uh, Rare Fest today and uh, Next month, we'll be in uh, Wichita, Kansas at Botanica. So look on our Facebook page for more information about that. Um, we want to remind everybody that um, the, the uh, American Passenger Rail Heritage Foundation is our sponsor. If you want to know, uh, want to know more about the APRHF and donate and help out our causes, go to APRHF.org. Um, as far as Rosenberg, Texas Railroad Museum, they're... Um, 
Their, e- their um, website address is RosenbergRRMuseum.org. Um, their address is 1921 Avenue F here in Rosenberg, Texas. If you want to call the museum, it's 281-633-2846. All right. Just one additional thing. If you want the latest and greatest about what's going on at the museum, have a look at our Facebook page. We get a lot of uh, our visitors who post pictures and stories there. So great place to keep up. All right. That's going to do it from the grounds of the Rosenberg Railroad Museum and Railfest. This is Shuttle Train Ted. Thanks to our production sponsor, assistant sponsors, Holiday Inn Express and Verizon Wireless. We'll see everybody next month from Wichita.